everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac at Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. This week we had big news coming out of Redmond and uh, Microsoft announcing that they would be acquiring Nuance Communications for just under $20 billion. This marks the second largest acquisition ever, only coming in behind the $26.2 billion deal that they inked to buy LinkedIn in 2016. Uh, Nuance has uh, a lot of exposure to the hospital industry, uh, serving uh, about 77% of US hospitals. So this more than doubles Microsoft's total addressable market in the healthcare vertical to nearly $500 billion. Uh, but I think it has some interesting opportunities in some other marketplaces that Microsoft might also be interested in. Absolutely. I think from a core technology perspective, Microsoft has done some very strong work uh, in terms of uh, voice recognition, AI and machine learning uh, around uh, voice uh, recognition, text-to-speech, uh, and, and those uh, related uh, applications. They're certainly high on the list of uh, AI-based uh, uh, applications whenever examples are, are given. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to parlay that success uh, into any kind of market presence for Cortana, their Siri-like uh, agent, uh, and uh, have, you know, it's been kind of unusual to see a company gradually uh, pulling something from the market. So for example, there had been a smart speaker uh, and Microsoft produced uh, its own set of headphones that included Cortana. And uh, over the past year, they have kind of pulled back that functionality. So it's kind of a rare example of someone buying a product and then over time having less functionality, um, you know, whereas the trend is to add things via software, not take it away. Uh, but uh, healthcare is, is clearly one of Microsoft's uh, key verticals. They have released uh, customized cloud initiatives for healthcare, which of course is a, uh, you know, a huge uh, area of, uh, of, of investment and, and profit for them uh, in terms of uh, where Azure is, is heading. Uh, and this will uh, clearly, clearly help uh, bolster that. Uh, as you mentioned, Sean, uh, lots of other applications, uh, automotive, clearly uh, an important one, um, uh, entertainment, uh, you know, clearly another. And, uh, you know, to the extent that they uh, remain in end user devices, uh, PCs and, and consoles, uh, it's, uh, it's sure to have uh, an impact there. In fact, uh, I think it was a few months ago, Microsoft released real-time speech di dictation for, for Word, uh, but only the online web-based version. So uh, clearly there's, uh, there, there are more applications there. Yeah, I really see some really interesting opportunities in automotive for these companies. Nuance does a lot around the, the user interface for, our, for automotives. And this is an area that Amazon, through uh, their uh, you know, Alexa platform, is getting a lot more uh, focused on. And in fact, earlier this year, they announced that they would, would write white label uh, that user interface for the auto manufacturers. So you could say something like, hey, GM, you know, check this or do this. And then any questions that they weren't able to answer, they could offload to the, to the Echo 
environment into the Alexa environment. And I think that's a really interesting use case scenario that we're going to see more of going forward, that these companies are going to want to have a white label version of a, of a user interface, and they're going to want you to call it by whatever name they've, they've specified or create your own. But ultimately, it has to also have a very large backend that it can answer all of the oddball questions that we ask. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Google and Alexa, uh, Google and Amazon have done a good job here at building out that, that library of, of information. And so I think you're going to see them play larger roles in, in some of these spaces. Uh, of course, the other trend that we're seeing is uh, a strong move. And we, we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast uh, toward um, edge, edge-based uh, recognition, on-device uh, recognition, uh, particularly with privacy being one of the ways that Microsoft is uh, seeking to differentiate versus some of those leading competitors that have a lot of expertise in voice, uh, Amazon and, and Google, uh, where there is a psychological you know, hurdle to overcome uh, an association with, with data mining. Yeah, and in fact, in 2009, Microsoft and Nuance had started a partnership called Ambient Clinical Intelligence, uh, it, where, which was really designed to offload some of the administrative tasks and to, to increase efficiency to reduce burnout. But you can imagine where Microsoft is wanting to go with its, with its cl- broader cloud strategy uh, and b- being able to bring in greater intelligence uh, in, in terms of artificial intelligence into these environments, that this could be a very natural, uh, a natural move in that direction. So once you're, you're in these environments and you're being tasked with administrative tasks, it isn't a, a far step to then say, hey, has there been any research on this? Or here are the presenting uh, you know, issues, w- what could this possibly be? And so it becomes an artificial intelligent platform beyond just its, its administrative, uh, you know, tasks today. So some really interesting things could materialize in the years ahead. And I, I think uh, some of those very tasks were things that Microsoft hinted uh, might be possible with Cortana. So, you know, if for whatever reason the, their in-house efforts were not up to it, uh, now they certainly get an infusion of intellectual capital and, and staff to, uh, to work on those kinds of issues. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously this is not a small company. Nuance has 6,000 employees. So it's a, a very large company that probably will, uh, you know, they'll probably use some of those employees and some of that expertise in some of these other spaces. Uh, this definitely feels like a move to double down in that medical vertical and really build that out. But I think you'll see, see the spillovers into other categories and, and that will help Microsoft. Clearly, they have ambitions in voice. And you know, going back, I mean, they were they were one of the earliest companies to look at uh, you know some of the the voice recognition and and natural language processing, uh, going back to you know the '80s and, and '90s. So uh, they've been at this for a long time now, and and this is clearly uh, dedicating resources to it, dedicating a significant. Uh, amount to it and and building out what for them will be part of a much broader cloud strategy. Uh, and we saw other kind of related news this week. We we saw that uh, you know Google Assistant is is now helping you to find your uh, silenced iPhones. 
And it can also, uh, we're also seeing an expansion of duplex. So we've talked about duplex in the past on the, uh, on the web, on the uh, podcast and duplex is expanding now to online food orders. So I think there's some really interesting things happening, uh, happening here where it's interacting with the physical environment. And then you also, in the case of finding your, your misplaced phones in the house, but also when it comes to duplex, it's helping you with uh, the ordering process and the final checkout, automating some of those things. So uh, more to come there, but you see Google also continuing to, uh, to push in that direction using these, uh, these interfaces. I just, I just found, uh, you know, I think the, the move to food delivery makes sense. Uh, you know, probably the timing uh, would have been even better if they had been able to uh, launch that a year ago. But, um, but it is interesting because I don't think we've seen any real uh, data or, or even a lot of anecdotal stuff on how well the appointments uh, have been working. But again, maybe that's also pandemic related. I mean, for the past year, a lot of people have uh, not been rushing out to get haircuts, you know, schedule, schedule haircuts. Uh, so, um, you know, now, uh, now, now they're broadening it. I'll, I'll take that as a, as a, as at least some evidence that, uh, that it's working on, on some level. Uh, and to your point about, uh, you know, voice control moving into lots of new applications and lots of new wake words uh, being uh, out there, even though a lot of Folks say that uh, that the wake word is, is kind of an endangered species that that will go away uh, at some point. Uh, you know, we've seen a, a number of services devices uh, start to incorporate their own wake words. Uh, Spotify adding "Hey Spotify" uh, to uh, to its app, uh, both on PCs and uh, and smartphones, and uh, Roku. Uh, announcing a new set of products and services, uh, a new operating system, uh, their OS 10, Roku OS 10, not to be confused with uh, Apple's OS 10, uh, which um, uh, you know brings um, you know new new uh, capabilities in terms of uh, being able to find uh, certain certain kinds of programming, and they've also released a uh, rechargeable remote that responds to Hey Roku. Uh, and uh, you can issue uh, voice commands without having to navigate the interface uh, with the uh, you know, four-way controller. Uh, and it can also be used to, to find uh, a lost remote uh, by, by voice. Uh, there's a switch to turn it off if you're not comfortable with, uh, with having that, uh, that always-on microphone uh, capability. Uh, and... Um, uh, also, some uh, speaking of uh, TV-related technology, some uh, some rumors that Apple is going to be combining uh, the HomePod uh, and some kind of camera-based uh, technology to uh, bring FaceTime, presumably, and, and other kinds of video services to to the television. Uh, you know, a number of companies have tried that, that kind of thing uh, over the years, either incorporating a webcam into the TV or, or some kind of add-on webcam uh, onto the TV. And uh, outside of uh, kind of professional video conferencing rooms, that, that hasn't really panned out, uh, certainly in the consumer market, uh, but, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, of course, it, it wouldn't work for Apple, which seems to have a way of um, Im- implementing these things in a way that 
that resonates. Um, so interesting, uh, and also of course, you know, with HomePod as its center, that's also related to voice given that it's a, it's a Siri uh, controlled kind of device. One of the potential applications is as a, a, a home hub, uh, perhaps even as a way to launch uh, some kind of uh, secondary network functionality as Amazon has done with the, uh, with the Echo and Ring devices and its uh, sidewalk network, which is a kind of a low, very low bandwidth, uh, very high battery efficiency way of, uh, of, um, uh, of getting, uh, you know, kind of relatively free peer-to-peer uh, -peer network, long-range uh, net network out there. Uh, of course, Amazon doesn't have the kind of ties to the carriers, um, you know, through through the cell phone that uh, that Apple has. Uh, but um, but it, Apple has certainly shown a strong interest in technology such as ultra-wideband uh, that can be used for uh, locating things in in very precise uh, position and proximity. Uh, and could open a, a whole new range of applications. For example, smart locks that uh, that unlock, you know, when they detect that you are within close proximity with uh, with an iPhone or or a car uh, that uh, that has a similar uh, digital key functionality. We're also seeing this feature come to other phones. Uh, Samsung already incorporating it at the high end, uh, but uh, but perhaps uh, bringing it down to a more affordable price point, as Apple has done with the HomePod Mini, uh, can uh, can open up some new possibilities. Yeah, I think one thing we saw in and during the pandemic was a lot of people getting on personal video calls, which which uh, you know were historically done on a person to person basis. So the camera on the phone was sufficient. What you had in the pandemic was families getting on with other families or, or wanting to get on in a more relaxed setting, like a living room. And yet the, the living room really doesn't have that many cameras in it today. I think building one in the bezel of a television has for a long time made sense, but you really haven't seen a lot of the, the TV manufacturers uh, dedicate bezel space to a camera and make it a, a fixed component of of all the models they sell, like a, you know, like the remote that comes in the box. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I think Apple could have a really interesting opportunity here if, if it's a, you know, wide angle camera that can capture a bunch of people in a room and then we'll watch that on the television. I know in my own household, we will watch Zoom calls. We'll get together on, on Zoom calls and we'll, uh, you know, air, airplay it to our, um, to our television and that that kind of works, but it's not the perfect solution. And then you lose access to your your phone ultimately because it will only show what's on your phone. So being able to have a dedicated device that's connected to television, I think, makes a lot of sense. And, and that is a feature that I think would have been very helpful over the last year during the pandemic. But I think that people are going to continue to do this. It'll be a way of getting together for uh, you know for other major events that that you just don't feel like traveling to. So maybe there will be weddings or other family get togethers. And it isn't that you can't travel there. It's just that you, uh, that you're not traveling there and you still want to tune in. So I think, I think we're going to see that piece of culture shift and there isn't really a lot of devices to fill that need yet. Um, it's, it's today 
pieced together by putting together a bunch of different devices. So it could be, uh, could be interesting. And Ross, as you pointed out with, uh, with Roku's new, you know, 4k HDR streamer, um, and, and all of these connected sets, you do wonder, do I need to buy an Apple TV set top box? Uh, and, and I think increasingly the answer is probably not because you're going to have a lot of the, the feature set built into either a, a television itself, or you'll be able to get it through something like a, a Roku sub, sub $50 device. Yeah. You know. Sub $50 <laughs> device. Exactly. And so, uh, as much as Apple may or may not care about the hardware sale. I think there's still a big part of that organization that is a hardware company and wants to sell hardware and wants hardware in lots of rooms to take advantage of, of all these services. So I think you will see uh, them, them think about where else could we take some of this technology and how do we put it together to, to create a meaningful user experience. And, and you know, to defend Apple TV uh, a little bit, uh, such a camera could be used uh, the way it is used on the iPhone for uh, face identification. You know, in this way, uh, a lot of uh, increasingly there are a lot of TV services, Netflix, uh, Hulu, um, a number of others that you know you, you launch up the service and the first thing is who's watching, right? So um, if if you are in front of the TV, it could uh, it could perhaps detect who's watching. Uh, and uh, and tailor and personalize the experience. Uh, also, uh, unlike uh, Roku, at least for now, many many years ago, Roku did dip its toe into games, and there are a few games on the platform, but it's really not, uh, you know, really uh, really kind of a you know lackluster offering compared to the very rich long tail of video options available on the platform. Uh, but Apple, of course, is uh, is very much into games uh, and Apple Arcade, uh, and uh, you know, a camera could be used for certain kinds of casual gesture-based uh, games that we saw uh, in kind of the Connect uh, Connect era era uh, of uh, of the Xbox. So, um, a number of things you you could do with a camera uh, on uh, on a television beyond just uh, video chat. Yeah, and, and you know another thing that we hadn't mentioned yet, but if you look at what Disney is doing with Disney Group or what Netflix is doing with Netflix Party about being able to essentially simultaneously right. watch, watch party, these yeah, watch parties, watch party. Yeah. Do you want a camera to be part of that? I mean, one of you know one of the great things about watching a show or a movie with with other people in the same room is you all kind of laugh together and you can you can respond right. to different interactions. So. Uh, as television sets get bigger, then I think increasingly we might be able to dedicate some of that space to uh, viewing other people in other rooms, or we dedicate, you know, secondary devices that the, you know, that second screen to the the viewers in other rooms. So if I have an iPad that is looking at these other rooms that people are in, and we're watching the same show on the main television, but the camera in this device is used to then Give, a, give me a better view of that room. I think that could be a really compelling uh, experience too. Of course, Apple is going to think very carefully before they put a camera in any room. This is something that they, I think, <laughs> struggle with as they think about how do we maintain privacy and be a privacy-first, privacy-centric company while also building out some of the, the suites of, of services and features 
that benefit from having cameras in lots of different places? You know, very interesting history of cameras in the home, apart from kind of dedicated security cameras. Uh, Connect, of course, one of the first cameras in, in the living room. And uh, it kind of petered out, not because of privacy concerns, but because the games were, you know, just not super compelling. Uh, and then uh, more recently, we've seen these uh, smart display devices that we've talked about many times on the podcast, like the Echo Show and the uh, Google, Google Nest uh, smart display, 10-inch, uh, you know, about iPad-sized devices. Uh, and um, those I think are, are making progress versus some of the smart speakers, certainly some of the more expensive premium smart speakers, because for about the same price, you know, you're getting a richer experience with, uh, with this visual feedback. And Sean, you were very early to, to tout those kinds of advantages. And so, uh, so we're definitely seeing that, that come through now. Uh, and, uh, and so that, that's also been a category that Apple is allegedly uh, interested in, um, you know, in terms of uh, potential additions to, to HomePod. In our final story of the week, we received this week our final letter to shareholders from uh, Amazon's CEO, Jeff Bezos. Uh, he, of course, is stepping down. And uh, we, well, he will be involved in the company moving forward as the executive chairman. This is the final letter to shareholders that he has, uh, that, that will come out under his name, presumably. Uh, you know, there, is, there is a debate that Ross and I were having if, uh, if we might see Bezos return should the stock price really start to dip or, or if, this, if the company uh, you know, kind of goes in the wrong direction, do we see Bezos return as we've seen other founders return to, to save the company? Uh, at, at the same time, uh, Bezos has made it very clear and he even alluded to some of the things in, uh, in the shareholder letter that he plans to uh, move on to, to other endeavors. Uh, well, his, uh, his close neighbor, Bill Gates, has moved on to, uh, you know, after leaving Microsoft, moved on to eradicating the world of certain diseases. Uh, Jeff wants to explore space ultimately and, and plans to be very uh, involved there. Though, though I anticipate he'll probably get involved other places. He, he owns the largest home in Washington, D.C., or the most expensive home in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, there, there are constantly rumors bouncing around that he'd be interested in buying the, uh, the, the Washington football club here and become an NFL owner. He's very involved here in Washington, D.C. and, and uh, you know, little owns, ways. Owns the post. Owns the, owns the Washington Post yeah. himself, uh, you know, under his, his own brand. Uh, this is the, just outside of Washington, D.C., of course, in Crystal City is where they built the, the, the second headquarters for Amazon. So Amazon is increasingly having a large presence here. Of course, there's a lot of lobbying efforts that uh, take place in this town uh, today with all of the tech companies. So, so I, you know, it'd be interesting to see how involved he gets in some other circles, but space is uh, definitely one of his final frontiers as he, uh, as he looks beyond Amazon. And, uh, you know, at least before we're colonizing Mars or other planets in earnest, uh, he's also committed to, uh, to spending, spending more time 
uh, and investing more in the Bezos Earth Fund, uh, which of course is complementary to a lot of the environmental efforts that Amazon uh, is engaging in, such as the, the Climate Pledge, uh, which now has more than 50 uh, signatories uh, pledging to be carbon neutral by, uh, by 2040. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so, so, uh, so but, but that's independent of, uh, of uh, Bezos's, um, you know, personal uh, in, environmental efforts. And there were a lot of great stats in the, uh, the letter. Yes. So if you, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to go read it. It talks a, a fair amount in depth about how Amazon operates and gives you a view of, of you know, how Amazon sees the world. And, and Jeff spent a fair amount of the, the letter really focused on creating value, not just for customers, but creating creating value in the world. And I think that is uh, clearly where his, his mindset is. Ross, you hit on it, you know, with the desire to become uh, carbon neutral. And so well, while you have seen lots of uh, CEOs sign on and founders sign on to pledges of giving away the, the majority of their wealth, um, interestingly enough, Jeff Bezos hasn't really signed on to those while his, uh, his ex-wife has signed on to those, uh, those pledges. Uh, but Jeff clearly does want to make uh, an impact and wants to drive value uh, broadly, not just at Amazon, but even beyond uh, what Amazon does. And, and some to-dos, uh, if you will, for uh, incoming uh, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, uh, who had uh, previously run AWS, uh, of course, in the early days, Amazon branded itself as Earth's biggest bookstore uh, and then moved on to become just Earth's biggest store uh, and then, uh, you know, focused on building its customer service reputation. And I would remember when for a period of years, the company would tout its uh, ACSI uh, customer, you know, very well recognized uh, survey for customer service. Uh, it would tout its, its high, you know, phenomenally high scores uh, on that index uh, on on its homepage, and now uh, as as he uh, as he leaves Bezos, saying that uh, in in recognition, uh, for example, of of the recent um, union vote uh, in uh, in Bessemer, uh, Bezos saying that you know Amazon uh, needs to commit to becoming not only Earth's best employer but Earth's safest place uh, to work, uh, addressing some of the criticisms of, of the company uh, and recognizing that, uh, you know, there's more to do there. And uh, as we always hear from Jeff Bezos, this is just day one. Right. So we will be hearing a lot more from him, not in terms of, uh, of uh, letters to shareholders from Amazon, presumably, or again, but uh, there will be certainly more letters to come and uh, a great focus on uh, what comes after day one. Uh, probably a great place to wrap this week's episode up. Thank you again for joining us here at Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening.